Welcome to Mud 79. I'm Fearless Fred Kennedy, the creator of this totally original and in no way authorized Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you're listening to this, you probably love Star Wars. I do too, and have always dreamed about telling my own story in a galaxy far, far away. A story that's less about the Jedi Temple and more about those who were on the front lines. A boots-on-the-ground story about how those living in the galaxy survive the horrors of war. That's what Mud79 is all about. If you're new to the show, welcome, but please be aware this is a series. So if you don't want to be totally lost, start from the beginning with episode one. You don't want to be a stormtrooper. This is episode six, The Pits. Solomon Kwai and a few members of Platoon 79 used their leave passes to head into the city of Flume Bay for a swoop bike tournament. It looks like Staven and Murray plan on cashing in on one race in particular, and Solomon is starting to suspect things are about to go south. What are Staven and Murray trying to do? Will their plan succeed, or is everything about to implode? Let's find out. I was annoyed they wanted to leave just when everything was actually starting. Then Staven leaned in and whispered, We're meeting someone in the pits. Of course we are. The two of them were already up. Murray scanned the crowd then looked back up at the screens. His eyes darted back and forth between two of them specifically. One showing the course and one showing an interview with one of the drivers who just finished a practice run. The screens were giant, electron-based projections that hovered overhead and were angled down in a way that was almost claustrophobic. The wall of images was a canyon of light and sound that left little escape from the action. I drained what was left in my cup and got to my feet, tugged my tunic down before lighting a stick and following behind Staven and Murray. I did my best impression of an imperial bigwig gave smiles and nods to people as I walked past, like they knew who I was. I was in awe and could see how people loved the races. I hadn't watched any of them, too focused on my love of people watching. The crowds were amazing, how people from different species were milling about celebrating. Maybe it was just me but it seemed like the city was a lot more jovial than the previous evening. Like being hungover was required to enjoy myself in a big city. I asked Staven why they even needed me with them. Because you put up the most money. Figured it was only fair you saw what we're up to. Provided you know to keep your mouth shut. He will. Fuck, Murray, chill out. We reached the gates that accessed the pit lanes and Staven told security there were passes left for her. The attendant looked at their data pad and asked for identification. And before I knew it, we were in. We need to get to the green sector, stall BT-11. The pits were set up like a city, except instead of buildings, it had rows of haulers all lined up with prefab shelters beside them pit crew going about their day. At any given spot, there would be interviews being done, racers and crews working on their bikes, and of course, 
plenty of trash talk. I did notice that there was security everywhere. They were all militia types. No buckets here. We had a ways to go, but it was an interesting walk. There were times when the swoop bikes would swing overhead and come in for a landing. The energy back there was amazing. As we walked, my companions gave me a running commentary about which teams had done what. One crew went through four pilots in the last year alone, after each one of them got ripped apart on the track. I was learning how brutal of a sport this really was. We even saw a bike that skewered a rider like meat on a spit during a race just a few weeks earlier, like went clear through the body, ripping it to shreds, and the crowd goes wild. We weaved for half an hour through crowds, taking one turn after another before we stopped in front of an excess stock freighter with a brand new paint job of a massive stylized dragon for the Crate Dragons. There was a sponsorship logo from Vandenar Industries, some company that produced aftermarket hyperdrive components. Staven looked around like she was expecting someone to be there. You guys lost or something? We whipped around to the sound of a voice behind us. It was a middle-aged human with a shaved head and a beard that came down in braids. He was wearing mechanic overalls that had the same dragon logo. Gareth, it's me, Alcia. It felt weird hearing her first name. Well, blow me out of an airlock. Look at you, kid. How long's it been? 15 cycles? How are your folks? They still running the race crews on the tracks back home? The subtle tension melted as the two swapped stories like family that had been apart too long. Gareth was so engrossed in the catch-up that it took him a few minutes to notice Murray and I standing there like idiots. That's when he invited us onto the freighter to speak in private. The inside was nice, clean and comfortable. It served as a transport which followed the race circuit from one system to the next, like a traveling home for a dozen members of the team. Most of them were down on the track level, making last-minute adjustments, running time trials. Gareth pulled out a bottle and poured us a few jars. This guy had the demeanor of someone who spent most of his life dealing with assholes. His shoulders were tight, jaw clenched, eyes darting to one of us then the other. But once the conversation was going, he relaxed a bit, went easy, and was just glad to be talking with people who weren't threatening his life. Whatever he gave us in those jars had a kick. And with the hangover I had, it was going to be tough to finish. But I was polite. Gareth seemed friendly enough. And it was interesting hearing Staven talk to someone who'd obviously known her for a long time. As they chatted, I learned that he'd worked for her parents years ago and ran one of their pod crews. Because of him, they started winning a few races. Eventually got into swoop bikes and made his way up the ranks. Years later, here he was. There was a lull in the conversation. Then he polished off his jar, took a deep breath, and yelled down the hall. Cody, Venta, get off the ship. Give me a moment alone with my friends from back home. A muffled voice replied, and then we heard footsteps move down the hall and head off the landing ramp. 
Gareth pulled out a controller from his pocket and flipped the switch. We heard the hatch close and lock. All right, doors are sealed, we're alone. What is it you wanted to talk about, really? Staven reached a hand into her tunic and pulled out a small metal canister, the size of a Rhodian cigar. She clanked it down on the table. He looked puzzled, and that puzzled look quickly turned to disappointment. Uh, I'm assuming that's jump juice. She nodded and never broke eye contact as she reached for the booze and poured herself a bit more. He grabbed the tube, popped the top, and waved the fumes towards his nose. I seemed to be the only one in the room who had no idea what was going on. Murray kept his eyes on Gareth and looked almost hostile. That was surprising. Murray was big, but I always saw him as a bit soft. Not now. Gareth leaned back and crossed his arms. Which team do you want me to dose? The Elder Heart Vortex. They've got to run just before 1800 hours. The long course? She nodded and smiled. He twisted his head to the side and opened his eyes wide, took in a sharp breath before responding through his teeth. Okay, I'll do it. But then we're done, and this ends. It's over. She got up, reached for his hand, and shook it. Then she motioned for us to follow her. We got out of the ship and trekked our way back through the endless aisles of shuttles and freighters. I didn't know if it was what just happened or the static from all the grav lifts, but my arm hairs tingled. Neither Staven or Murray were filling me in, so I just asked, ever so quiet-like, what the hell was going on? They brushed me off, said we'd talk about it when we were out of the pits. It was dangerous here, too many ears. I wanted to press my point, demand answers, but I didn't have the confidence to assert myself at all. I was a floater, I just went along with things. All of that compiled just made the walk longer. When we got to the concourse, I lit another stick, as Staven asked for one too. I handed them over and then she filled me in. Gareth worked for her parents years ago, but he'd stolen a good chunk of money from a regional warlord and left them on the hook for it. There was a small bounty out for him and Staven only found him by chance while watching racing highlights. She had some plan of blackmailing him for credits when the timing was right, but when the opportunity of using him to fix a race and profit a few thousand credits came along, she couldn't resist. The timing was just too perfect. He must have known she was going to blackmail him from the moment he saw her. If you're wondering what she gave him, the jump juice, it's an engine catalyst that supercharges motors and cooks them in the process, makes them so hot the engine becomes a single chunk of steel or alloy by the time it runs the course. She took it from the shuttle pool back on Camp Fibus. We use it in limited quantities on our speeder bikes because the Imperial models are designed for it. Swoop bikes are not. Staven blackmailed Gareth into dosing the Elderheart Vortex team which we dumped all our money on. And when they won, we would collect, huge. Or at least that was the plan. It made sense for Staven and Murray to be so jumpy. We would bleed for this hustle if the wrong person found out. 
and the plan was in motion. So now we just had to wait. Murray and I headed back to the betting station we'd been to earlier until the race was over. He wanted to collect right away before there was a chance anything could go wrong. We hopped on to a nearly empty public transport and headed back to the red light district. As soon as the day's racing wrapped, it'd be filled with drunken spectators, and that was a crowd I was glad to avoid. Staven went back to the rest of our group and we'd all meet up afterwards. Then we would celebrate in opulence. Ever since I agreed to this, I assumed the money was gone, but I was starting to have moderate hopes that maybe this might work out in our favor. Emphasis on moderate. I grew up on a farm, so I learned that nothing can be counted on until it's in your hand. Crops can be coming up perfect and get washed out by a single storm. That kind of life will make you stoic. Murray suggested we pass the time in a lounger cafe where you get to sprawl out on your own cushioned booth. And they brought you food and drink. And after you eat your fill, you can sleep it off for a bit, which is exactly what I did for two hours, and I would have gone longer, but Murray nudged me awake right before our race started. He pointed at the central screen, which hung from the ceiling of the cafe. Bikes were at the line, engines revving, dust blowing behind them. They raised up the starter lights and went red, yellow, then green. It was on. Bikes completed three laps through some extremely foul terrain. Part of the race even went out over the ocean. That was the course's highlight, actually. The part the spectators loved watching. Seeing those bikes soar over white caps and breaking saltwater spray was awesome. A few riders got knocked off when they miscalculated their altitude. At that speed, water would break you into pieces. Things were rough out there. Riders kicked, elbowed, and punched each other, doing their best to take each other out. Swoop bike racing was like pit fighting, only at a few hundred clicks an hour. Our race was tight. The Vortex team was in the mix out front, but at no point were they leading. Then midway through the final lap, one of the bikes close to them just took off. It bolted forward and was not in control. The pilot was barely keeping it together. The surging bike was not the team we bet on. Ah, oh, shit! No! Murray clued in that the wrong bike got dosed, and now it was burning up as it overtook the rest of the riders and ripped over the finish line, then slammed into one of the pit walls and exploded. The rider didn't make it either. They wound up as a smear along a stretch of the track. I looked over at Murray, who just sat there with his mouth open wide and nothing was coming out. Just silence. What we'd seen wasn't shocking to anyone. This happens all the time in swoop bike racing. It might seem brutal, but if I had not been in uniform, I would have laughed actually, not at the death, but at the amount of money we just lost and the dark satisfaction of my cynicism being right, 
This was a dumb idea in the first place. I was also looking forward to Staven's disappointment when she no longer had the I'm the smartest person in the room vibe anymore. As a rueful smile crossed my face, Marie dropped some credits on the table and said we should go back to the hotel. He was fuming, so I didn't say anything smart. He didn't say anything at all, the whole trip back. But as soon as we were in the room, he ripped off his boots and threw them at the wall. I knew this was gonna go sideways, I knew it! Who trusts a guy that shady? Fucking Staven, fuck! That was a month's fucking credits, man! I offered him one of the decanters of ale from the fridge, and he grabbed it and poured himself a glass. It did not calm him down. And instead, he paced like a caged animal as he muttered about how much money he'd lost. We could hear the rest of our group coming down the hall. When the door opened, Staven was the last one in. She hung back, shoulders dropped. They were all making fun of her because she managed to convince all of them to toss a few creds into the wager as well. None of them seemed mad, though, because she'd paid off their tab at the drinking hall, which wasn't cheap. Staven was out the credits from her bet, had paid off their tab, and was broke. Murray looked at her and she mouthed, I know, with childlike regret painted on her face. Pitiful, really. He towered over her as they talked by the window, and he deflated as they spoke. The two shared a stick, and he regained his composure, thanks in part to how apologetic Staven was being. I came up, just checking in. I didn't want any grudges in the platoon. The one thing they really drilled into us was solidarity. You needed to have each other's back. Yes, I was out 500 credits, but it was found money. I hadn't expected it, so losing it didn't really bother me. It felt like it had never existed anyways. I did remind her about it, though, saying she owed me and that I'd be calling in a few favors. Staven had no idea what happened. Gareth must have hit up the wrong bike. She tried to see him after the race, but was denied entry at the pit gate. She was down. Hell, we were all out money, and as the sun set, sounds of parties seeped in through the windows, calling us out to the street. So we hit the town again. I don't know where we got the energy, but we needed to shake off our losses, and someone suggested we go back to the brothel. I was oddly into the idea. Maybe some Bith dust would pep me up enough to really tie one on and then spend the next day in bed. Thinking about sleeping made me smile. After tonight, I was going to relax like an old biddy on an interplanetary pleasure cruise. We spilled onto the streets, and they were packed. Way more people than the night before. The energy of the city during race time lived up to the hype. Gem flower smoke was everywhere. It blended in with the delicious smells from the street vendors, and it was intoxicating. I had to get my own stick, and did, from some guy on a corner. Walking around the city made me realize just how huge the galaxy was. There were species I'd never seen before. I realized just how little I knew and how little I'd seen. I enjoyed the walk. 
was actually worried we wouldn't be able to get into the brothel. The crowds were huge and there was close to 20 of us going in together. Maybe if we didn't get in, we could just find a spot to hang out on a patio or something and watch the galaxy go by. I smoked my gem flower down to the nub by the time we got to the brothel. That same Verk from the night before was out front. He saw us coming. Well, two nights in a row. And now, there's more of you. Huh. Head inside and wait. It'll take a minute to get you a spot with a group this size. Just remember the rules, and there won't be any trouble. The guy was giant and terrifying, but a lot nicer than the six inside. There was added security because of the races, and each one looked at us menacingly. Guess they didn't love the Empire, and they were hoping we'd break the rules so they could break us. At this point, I was starting to get a well-tuned sense for when things had potential to go south, and it was screaming. The seven-foot reptiles nodded for us to go in as they stared at us with their thumbs on the safeties of their rifles. As we walked in, there was instant relief. We were greeted by a naked Zeltron with a smile that could spark up a dead hyperdrive. Come in. The place was busy. Tables were closer and sheer drapes were drawn to divide the room, but you could see vague shapes moving to the subtle music as smoke rose from communal vessels. <laughs> we were seated at the front and I felt at ease. I was having a really great time. I know my mother would be ashamed of some of the jokes I was making, but this was a release. Nothing more was expected of me. I could relax. My gray friends, welcome. I see there's more of you tonight. For the newcomers, prices will be given and they will be paid. There are no negotiations. Private services are available in the upper chambers. Follow the rules and enjoy yourselves. Even the madam seemed nicer tonight. Her sharpened teeth seem less pointed and almost friendly. With a crowd this big, she was bound to make a lot of money, and I guess that was enough to make her glow. The servers took our orders, and some of the guys were already making their way upstairs. Hi. There was a girl here last night. A toilet girl. Purple skin. Her name was Panlei. Getting your heart involved in a financial transaction, you schmuck. Four from our group had already gone upstairs. Those of us still at the table tried to pace ourselves and failed. Staven and Mondahai were talking about the new recruits that would allegedly be joining us when we got back to camp. So what do you think the FNGs are gonna be like? I don't know, but hopefully they bring a bit more heat. We need to get someone on the Z6 who understands fire zones and eases back on the trigger. Back at that ambush, those almost melted the fucking thing. We were surrounded by naked bodies from around the galaxy, and Mondahai sat here talking about tactics. <laughs> it is one of her best traits, though, that if given enough time, she could break down how efficient each squad was in every combat situation imaginable. She even took a look around the brothel, 
and assigned everyone various positions within the platoon based on their look alone. <laughs> it was nice to see that Murray finally seemed to be putting the lost race behind him. I don't know, but if they're coming in from one of the planets in the nebula, they're probably not much for the field stuff. It's going to be interesting. Can't wait to see how Orto handles it. Fucking Orto. I wonder what that asshole is up to right now. Probably hanging upside down naked and disassembling his rifle. The booze and drugs plus the image of a naked upside down Orto made us crack up. <laughs> that just spiraled into wondering if a guy like him had a romantic partner, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or both. The conversation got really seedy as we waded into a very deep and detailed conversation about the sexual habits of clones. Like, could they even have kids? Are there half-clone babies everywhere? And does that technically make them all siblings? Genetically speaking, of course. Don't pretend like you haven't asked yourselves these questions. But our debate was suddenly cut short by a group of four aliens and two humans that just sat down at our table unannounced. They made it clear right away this wasn't going to be a nice visit either. You're the shithead imps that dosed my sister's bike, huh? The ones that killed her? Everything stopped. This was unexpected. I could still hear laughter and I could still hear music and there was still the smell of smoke and incense in the air. But everything slowed down. I was calm. The guy accusing us pulled out a blaster pistol and I moved to the side. Murray grabbed his hand and pointed the gun upwards. The shot went right past my head and burrowed into the wall behind me. Another one of those assholes got a shot off too. Shit was spiraling out of control. Tables flipped. Fists flew. What were these idiots thinking? In my disrupted state of bliss, I had this idea we'd put these guys down and get praised for it. Maybe even get a discount on our next visit. But that's not what happened. Instead, a legion of Verk poured into the room with their rifles set to stun, firing round after round at all of us. Then they cracked us with batons for good measure. I was twitching on the ground and took a whack right below my right shoulder blade that broke a few ribs. That's enough. Get the lot of them into the pen downstairs and make it hurt. I'll call the constables. Lines of drool hung from my mouth as I was dragged out of the room. We were tossed into a dark concrete hole and one by one they beat the living shit out of us. They loved their work. With every hit, my mind raced in circles. Why were we getting beat up? We were attacked. Wait, why were we attacked? How did these guys know who we were? Then it would start again. The drugs and alcohol fueled me enough to keep me conscious through the whole thing. Almost all of us were left as heaps of battered flesh on the ground, including the guys who had gone upstairs. I felt bad for them. They took their beatings naked. Right as the last beating was about to start, the door opened, and on the other side was a constable from the local military and the madam. Only one of them looked shocked. You realize these are Imperials, right? 
I pay their taxes and they broke my rules. So now they pay my taxes. All right, stun them and throw them in the hauler. Eltherium was the only one to really voice any objections to the constable's plan. I saw him get hit with a stun baton and the sparks lit up his midsection. He didn't piss himself, which is more than I can say for myself when the constables made their way stunning me. I did manage to get a swing at the one who came for me, but missed, and I was beaten until I passed out. I came too as I was being dragged into one of their detention centers. It was full of drunks and partiers from the races. Thankfully, the constables were relatively gentle to us Imperials. We had a clean cell. It was cleared out just for us. The whole place stunk like bodily waste, but at least the floors looked like they'd been mopped within the past few days. We weren't there for long when some Navy asshole rolled in with six stormtroopers in tow and sprung the lot of us out. We were then piled into the back of a crate hauler and treated like prisoners as we got pushed and shoved by the buckets. I shuffled my way the best I could and I heard the partiers in the distance. Fireworks were going off too, so I looked up but saw some shuttle traffic. Not a lot, but was still there. Lights were spinning, well, I was spinning, rocking from side to side. I had no idea where we were. I was a complete mess. I reached out to Mondahai to keep me upright. We fell into the hauler as I passed out again. I heard they were taking us back to the port. Breathing hurt, everything hurt. My whole body had been tenderized. I woke up as there was a sudden jerk that made me slump over. I looked around and there were no smiles, no talking, just pain. The gate opened in the back and the naval officer was there holding a spotlight, moving it over us. I couldn't see as my eyes tried to adjust for the brightness. Where were your accommodations, troopers? I will see that your belongings are recovered and delivered to your post. Murray gave him the name and location of our hotel, along with the name the reservation was under. The officer assured us our belongings would be delivered within days. Then he ordered us off. The buckets hauled us to our feet as the officer barked at us that we had minutes to get on board the cargo hauler before it left for Camp Vibus. As the sun rose, I felt a cool, stiff breeze blow in off the ocean, which felt incredible on my swollen body. I was feverish after that pounding, and the air cooled me as I went on board semi-conscious. I was out before we even took off. I don't remember landing either. In fact, I don't remember much of what happened when we arrived back at the camp. I have snapshots, quick memories of heat, humidity, and of course that smell. So I knew I was back home in the middle of the ass. The next clear memory I have is of being back at the barracks lying down. The LT came in through the main door flanked by the three squad sergeants. All right, you lazy shits, out of bed. I want you on the square now. You fucked a womp rat and now you're gonna pay for it. Get the hell out of your racks now. If I see any of you dragging heels, I'll break your goddamn legs. Try me, try me. 
As soon as he was done speaking, the sergeants let loose. They shouted and smacked us in the back of our heads. It was like we were back in basic training. I did my best to get moving, but was stopped by the sharp pain in my upper back as soon as I was upright. It made me sick, like a wave of nausea and pain came across my whole body. I managed to slip my pants on from the pile of clothing by my bunk. Gentala grabbed my arm and shoved me towards the door. No time for that, Quai! Get your stupid ass out onto the square now! I had no idea what time it was, what day it was, or how long I'd been out for. I just knew that if I didn't do as ordered, I fully expected her to break my legs. Given the pain I was in, part of me was wondering if that had already happened, that my legs were actually broken. The LT came up behind me as I struggled along in my skivvies, trying to keep up with an awkward, horrible jog. I expected more from you, Kwai. What the hell were you thinking? That actually hurt. What the hell was I thinking? When I actually managed to get outside, the pain was almost slapped out of me by the immediate discomfort of the heat and humidity. Breathing was hard before. Now it was almost impossible. Above us, the sky was blinding, but still overcast, a massive white light. I struggled with it. It was brighter than it should have been. I was squinting, lost my footing, and fell over. I opened up a few cuts that I didn't even know I had. The platoon was mostly ahead of me, on their way to the parade square. The LT and sergeants were with us every step of the way, bellowing orders, insults, ensuring we knew their disappointment. I had no clue how much time had passed. Everything since the end of the race was a blur. It could have been a few hours ago, a week. I had no clue. I was really just trying to stay upright. The thing that really sucked was that only 17 of us went to Floon Bay, which meant everyone else was in shit because of us. That explained the dirty looks I was getting from anyone not covered in bruises. This was going to take a while to live down. I wondered what punishments awaited me and secretly hoped that one of my many lesions or wounds would lead to an infection and I would wind up in the infirmary, which would be nice. I would finally get some rest and some good food. Even if this was a near-death experience, it would be a lot better than whatever hell my squad mates and the rest of the platoon would come up with. I turned the corner to the parade square and saw a bunch of new faces. Fresh blood was here, a new first squad, and a handful of others to fill out the ranks. All of them kitted out and ready for patrol. What a sight we must have been. There was a tall Pantoran, blue skin, had hard features. That guy stood out, had a scowl that could compete with Orto, and he glared at us as we shambled our way across the concrete and formed up. The LT called us to attention, then walked between the rows, adding new faces where needed. He did it quickly, 
which meant he knew the names and dispositions of whoever we'd be getting. Had to love the guy. He was the finest officer I would ever serve with. Then he walked off. Didn't say a word. Normally, we would be dismissed, but not this time. We just stood there, in silence, baking in the masochistic sun, a feast for the bugs swirling around us. My head was pounding. I was in agony. Every cell in my body hurt, and I was going mad thinking about how badly I wanted a drink of water. We were there for what felt like an hour. It was probably 15 minutes. Then I heard the click of heels on the hard surface of the square behind us. The LT was back, and he wasn't alone either. The colonel was with him, and in her hand was an imperial stun baton. I shuddered with fear, which was impressive given how awful I felt already. Platoon 79. She flicked on the stun baton, and the blue streams of current crackled. As you can see, your replacements have arrived. I just wish it was under more pleasant circumstances. Some of you may have heard that various members of your platoon were involved in an attempt to tamper with a swoop bike race in Floon Bay two days ago. In the process, a racer was killed. This type of behavior is the exact opposite of what is expected from you. The Empire is here to protect these people and to ensure they know we are here to impose order, not chaos. Private Staven, come forward. Staven did as ordered, and she limped her way to the front. She looked awful. The right side of her face was swollen shut, and she could barely see out of her left eye. The right eye was red from burst blood vessels. She was only wearing her compression top, and I could see deep red and purple bruising snaking its way across her entire torso. One of them was a clear marking of a three-fingered fist. Those Verk worked her over good. Still, she stood in attention in front of the colonel. Then Gast jabbed the baton into her stomach and held it there as Staven collapsed. The current flickering along her body, licks of electricity making her twitch, dry heave, then nothing. She just laid there in front of us. To atone for yourselves, your platoon is being sent to the city of Flaudeen in the Bista Valley, where you will assist the locals in the construction of a new irrigation system. You will not be allowed back in this camp until the locals are satisfied with your work. You leave in two hours. Dismissed. The colonel whispered something to the LT, who nodded as she walked away. Murray called me over to help carry Staven back to the barracks. We dragged her along and tossed her onto her bunk. She didn't move, just laid there face down. I had a cold shower, and when I got back to the bunkhouse, Husto was there with a new face. A perfectly built shellactin. Olive skin, dark hair and eyes, muscular and standing more than two meters tall. I'd heard about shellactins and how they were nearly universally respected across the galaxy. And seeing this guy, I understood why. Even Husto seemed impressed by him. 
It wasn't until later that I'd found out they'd actually served together near the end of the Clone Wars. He was a corporal too, and they were taking a close look at those of us who'd been beaten, starting with Staven. They handed out pain pills, back to spray, back to respirators. They were giving them out like candy. That's when I found out the new guy's name was Lidon Vama. Well, you definitely cracked a few ribs, and that leg's going to be a problem for a while. Do me a favor and quit being stupid. The worse shape you're in, the less effective we are as a fighting unit. Well, this was a new approach, different from Husto's strategy of questioning our intelligence and ensuring we knew he didn't like us. Take a look around the room. These people are depending on you. Get your head together. No more bullshit, all right? He gave me some pills and made me take a few hauls out of the back to respirator, then moved on. The flight out was bearable. The painkillers, dry pills, and water helped me feel leveled off. So much so that I didn't mind everyone wanting to ram their boot up my ass. We got to Flaudine in the dark and sat down outside the city. The LT had us set up tents while the bugs ate us alive. We were told to get some sleep because we'd be up with the sun, digging. I clocked in about three hours that night which wasn't enough to fuel me through a day of grueling pick and shovel work. But I managed. Then we had another. And another. And another. Five straight weeks. The numbing work and sweat almost made us forget about the race day. Staven was still pissed and swore that when she got access to the net again, she'd track down Gareth and make him pay. That wasn't going to happen. See, we found out that her boy Gareth placed his own wager on the bike he dosed and tried to vanish before anyone found out. But he didn't get far. Half his body washed ashore a few days later. He was missing his legs. We drank to that. Turned out that the connection to him was how they found us so quickly. He had ensured that Staven's name and unit number and all her vitals were on the pit registry list. When I look back at it, those reptilian assholes at the brothel probably saved our lives. Because if we hadn't been thrown in a cell, who knows who would have come looking for us? In similar odd fashion, the tedious back-breaking work of digging irrigation trenches actually helped calm down the rest of the platoon. They weren't cool with us by any means. In fact, the assholes pissed on my cot a few times, stole my boots, my rations, my booze, my toothbrush went missing. But that stupid shit didn't really last. Everyone took their shot and moved on pretty quickly. We were a unit, and being tight was a big deal for us. The FNGs turned out to be pretty good too. Oh, FNG means fucking new guy. Us in the fourth squad got a new heavy gunner. Name was Valkyrie Targon. She was Zeltron, who seemed like the most positive person you would ever meet. She had an infectious smile that made you want to be around her. That's what Zeltrons were like. My dad told me about their kind. They literally emit hormones to make you feel happier when they're around and dedicated themselves to this way of 
banishing negative thought and self-doubt. Targon was great, really solid with the Z6, and I never had to worry about her fire zone, so I loved running fire drills with her. She was great to have in the squad. Apparently, her former battalion had seen some action on Seston 2, where there was urban combat against criminal elements. Cartels on the planet were in control of the wine shipments. They ran the docks, warehouses, everything. They had rackets on taxation and, in general, acted like petty nobility, strangling the people, both literally and financially. The FNGs we had were part of a company that really stood out due to their brutal efficiency. When Orto was looking for fresh blood, he read some story about their sergeant, that Pantoran. His name was Deonis Kyra. Found out the guy was former hard, high-altitude recon dropper, the kind that the Republic dropped in behind enemy lines during the Clone Wars and just said, stay alive and kill as many people as you can. During their first real op on Seston 2, he detained a group of smugglers, picked one at random, then beat them to death in front of the others, said it was the best way to get them all talking. He was right. The rest sang like Chesop sparrows in mating season. That was the kind of thing the LT was looking for, because he was anticipating a lot more violence in the area. Of course, Murray was the one who told us this stuff. He'd overheard it during his brief moments around the CP. Our little labor camp wasn't so bad, aside from the never-ending hours of digging, sweating, bugs, and live-fire PT drills. The locals seemed glad we were there. Free labor that helped improve their community. Who wouldn't want that? Even if someone hated the Empire, they'd be glad this work got done. This was the reason we were in the Seston system. To help people. After weeks of sweat, and I mean sweat, we dug the last of the big trenches. I remember we were taking a break smoking sticks and looking at the mountains in the distance. We didn't even notice some kid. She must have been 10 or 11, came up behind us. A Twi'lek with her little leku bobbing around as she walked up and handed me a small clay jar. The top was sealed with wax or some other old-fashioned sealant. I was told to give you this and make sure you know how grateful we are. As soon as we took it, she scampered off. I passed it to one of the FNGs, and he pried the lid back and took a whiff inside. His eyes widened, and a huge smile came over his face. It was a jar of Relin tea, a holistic medicine that relaxed your body and got you high as shit in the process. We laughed and decided we'd crack it open before hitting the rack that night. This was going to be great. We didn't want to share it with too many people, so we didn't tell anyone about it and hid it under one of our cots with some dirty rags. When no one was looking, I got boiling water and met the rest of our small group for a shared existential experience. I was actually hoping it'd heal me up because my ribs were still killing me. We opened the jar and poured the contents into the filter. But there was something else. I shook the jar a bit and something rattled around inside. I shook it again and poured it over. 
and then it fell out. Right there into the filter. A human finger. Cut just past the second knuckle. Who was that young Twilik? How did they get the jar? And who does that finger belong to? That's next time on Episode 7, Warehouse. Thank you for joining me this week on Fearless Fred Presents Mud 79, a Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you follow the show so you'll never miss an episode. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps grow the show and will make my contemptible harpy of a producer very happy. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever else you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and a full listing of Mud79's cast. If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at fearless underscore Fred or email me at mud79 at curiouscast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me, Fred Kennedy, and Dila Velasquez, the Harpy, our producer. Sound design is by moi, and final production is by Rob Johnson. And I'll see you next week for more Mud 79.